0: Welcome to all of those who are joining us on our satellite sites. Welcome to those who are watching online. Um, My name is Coley. I'm new on staff here. I'm a pastor at CA, and I started in August, and this is an opportunity that I feel very blessed to have. Um, I get to teach for the first time with you today, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm excited about it. So um, anyways, we're going to dive back into Romans. We took a little break for Easter, but we're going right back in, and so Before we get started, I just want to pray for our time, that the Lord would direct it and that he would speak a word to each of us, depending on where we're at and what we need to hear today. So will you pray with me as we start? Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is alive and active, Father. And we pray that this morning we would have ears to hear, God, what you have for us. Father, would you invite us into your word? Would you invite us into your presence, Lord? And would you speak to us in such a way, Lord, that we hear from you? God, you are good, and we're so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. And in his name, we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. Um, well, I'm new, as you said, but some of you don't know. I'm from Wisconsin, which is a little state in the Midwest, and so I grew up in a community of 14 girls. There was 14 girls in my neighborhood. There was one little boy, Lance Bussy. He had other friends to play with, but it was all these girls always hanging out. And so people ask me, "How did you end up in women's ministry?" And I kind of think like. I've been doing this since I was three, just hanging out with ladies. We would do sleepovers all the time. Bless our parents. Our parents would let us do sleepovers almost every other night in the summer. And so all these girls just giggling till all ends of the day. And one thing that we loved to do is we loved to reenact Disney movies. Anyone else maybe just us in Wisconsin that's what we did for fun. <laughs> so we would reenact Disney movies and my all-time favorite was Jasmine and Aladdin. Oh, so exotic, so fancy, so fabulous. What we would do is we would get out a little towel and we'd lay it on the carpet and then we'd take turns. Someone got to be Jasmine, which was, you know, that we were all fighting for that, and someone got to be Aladdin. And I was a little bit taller so I was normally slated for the Aladdin role. But what we would do is we would we would sit on the carpet and sometimes my little friends would roll up their little shirts to be Jasmine. You're like, I'm Jasmine this time. And so we would sit on the carpet and we would all sing A Whole New World. And we would sing it together and we would pretend that we were just flying over the kingdom. And it was magical. I remember as a little kid thinking that I really was exploring a whole new world when it was my turn to go. And what I love about that image, what I love about maybe why I like Aladdin is, it's its invitation to a new world, right? And I was reading through Romans 12 and I believe that Paul is inviting us into a new world. A world that Jesus has come and died and rose again to save. As you know, the kingdom of Jesus, it's an inverted kingdom, right? It's not the way the world is. It's, he says the first will be last and the last will be first. He says blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek. God's world is completely, he asks us to die to ourselves to live. And I believe that Paul is giving us instructions in the book of Romans on how to be citizens of a new kingdom, how to enter and live in the new world that Jesus died. To give us, and so my invitation for us this morning, as we're together, is to view the lens of Romans twelve, where we're jumping into, to view it as a whole new world that you and I are invited to be a part of because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so I want us to dive into the passage today with that focus in mind. Of we are entering a new world. We're entering a new reality that Christ has given us, and it's a gift, and it's going to be a ride. So um, if you have your little books, it's in page forty-one. Romans 12, 17 through 21. Um, Paul writes, do not repay anyone evil for evil. When's the last time someone did something wrong to you? Maybe it was this morning, maybe it was a kid, maybe it was a spouse, maybe it was someone on the freeway. How often? Evil's flying around our culture all the time, right? At us, in us, out of us. When's the last time? How did you respond? I'll let you sit with that. You don't need to do group therapy to sit with that. Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. You see, Paul was writing to a collective society. Here in the States, we tend to have a very individualized approach to our faith. It's my personal relationship with God, my faith, my church, my community. Well, back in the day when Paul's writing this, Jesus died for all of humanity. And so they would consider, they would look at the gospel from a communal lens, kind of like what you reap is what you sow, what you put out there affects everybody, not just you. And so he's saying, he's inviting them, he's saying, in this new world, I want you to, to consider everybody when you're making decisions about how to respond to evil, because how you respond will, reflect, will, will affect everybody. Uh, verse 18, it says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In those first two verses, Paul uses the word anyone, everyone, everyone. He's not just talking about your neighbors. He's not just talking about the people that live under your roof. He's not just talking about your best friend. He's talking about everyone. He's talking about the guy on the street. He's talking about your coworker who sits eight cubicles away from you who chews really loud. He's talking about everyone that we're in contact with. Everyone around us. Right. This is a hard. Le- we pay no one evil for evil not just people that you love, nobody, even evil people. Um, Verse 19, it says, "'Do not take revenge, my dear friends.'" Oh, I feel like Paul knows us. He's like, oh, sweet little friends. I know you, I know you want to get revenge. I know you want to get yours. Paul's in it with that. he gets it. But he's saying, my dear friends, do not take revenge. Even though that's the most natural instinct that we have sometimes, right? Is to right our own wrong. Paul says, dear friends, do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. We're gonna go back to the burning coals, but really this invitation to feed an enemy and give drink, that doesn't really make sense to us in this society because food is so rampant. We can go to McDonald's. We got Taco Bell drive through With the concept of our enemy being hungry, isn't really something that we see, right? People that are harming you or hurting you or saying bad things, it's not like they actually need food. They got their own refrigerator. But back in the day when they were fighting in enemy territories and an enemy would leave their land, their village, to come and fight, they literally had no resources, no access to food or water. So it was a life or death situation. And by feeding their enemies and giving them drink, they were empowering their enemies essentially to come back to the battle and potentially conquer them. So this was a life and death reality that doesn't really make, the concept of food is like, oh, my enemy's got our own kitchen, you know? But for them, they didn't have food. So they were liter- God was literally saying, share your limited resources with your enemy, even if they attack you again. That's the call of the gospel. Easy to follow, right? Right. Okay, verse 21 is the summary of the whole passage. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Mm, That's a good word and we're going to go into that. But this morning what I want to do is I want to explore what I think are three invitations that Paul invites us into. He invites us to see the world a different way and to respond differently. And so I want to explore those. I want to unpack those three invitations with you this morning. And the first one is I believe Paul's inviting us to meet hostility with holiness. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. Um, I was at a friend's house a few weeks ago, and she has a little son. He's the cutest little thing in the world, and he, it was time to eat. And so she was in the kitchen. She was chopping all of his little stuff, little bite-sized avocado pieces and little, little turkeys. Um, and anyways, it was time to eat, and he did not want to eat. He wanted to be free-roaming, He wanted to be playing with the wind. And so she put him in his little high chair and he was not happy about it. So he was kicking, screaming, but she's in there cutting up the food and it's time to eat. So she brings his little tray over. She's trying to give him little bites and he's not really feeling it. So she's, you know, she's trying again and she goes back to get his bottle or his little like sippy cup. And as she goes back, when she turns around, he just all the food all over the ground. And I watched as my friend, she ran back to the kitchen, she got a rag, she came over, she wiped him up, she wiped down the high chair, and then she went back to the kitchen to start cutting a new new plate for him. And she didn't realize it, but what she spoke to me in that moment was, I think, the picture that Paul is painting for us. So often when somebody whooshes over us, right, with negative words, with criticism, with condemnation, with judgment, it can be something as simple as a look. When someone does that to us, our natural response is we want to whoosh right back, right? We want to get back at them. We want to get even. We want to make sure that, like, they felt that their hostility hurt us and we want to hurt them. And to watch my friend respond in the way she did is really what I believe the invitation of Christ is in this new world. As he's saying, I don't don't want you to make a bigger mess. I want you to clean it up. Because you live in the mess that you make, right? You live in there. You sit in that. If my friend had just thrown the food that she made and was like, that's it, would that have helped anything, right? We laugh about that because we're like, no, she wasn't gonna do that. But how often do we do that? Myself included in response to people that hurt us. They whip something out and we wanna go right back at them and Jesus is saying, no, in this world, I want you to be the people that put a stop to the hostility, right? Because hostility meets hostility, it blows up and we all have felt the shattered pieces of that reality, right? We've all felt the broken relationships. We've all felt the strain. We've all felt the hurt of that blow-up, right? And God's saying, no, when hostility comes in my kingdom, how I want you to respond is I want you to respond with holiness, and the result of that will be dissolved, and it will be peace, right? This is a hard lesson for us. And some of us are asking, well, Coley, you don't, you don't really know how awful my husband is or how bad my neighbors are or how much my friends have wounded me. And I wanna say, I hear you. I get it, it's hard. But the reality is, is that God, when he sent Jesus Christ to die for us, he gave us a new identity. I remember learning about this from my aunt. Um, I lived with her in Portland for four years and my aunt is a burn victim. And so she's done a lot of healing in her life and learned a lot about the power of shame in her life and how things that people say to us, words that we feel can stick to us. And so one day we were talking and she said, Coley, in, in my years of living, in my years of unpacking the shame of my accident and going through who other people say I am, she said the most vibrant truth that I have ever learned that set me free is the reality that when Jesus came and when he died on the cross, He gave me a new identity and the core of who I am, the core of who you are when you accept Jesus Christ as your savior is you are holy. You are not the shame that other people have put on you. You are not your mistakes. You are not words that have been spoken over you. You are not the things that you have done. When you receive Jesus Christ, he gives us a new identity and he makes us holy. And so when people come at us, we don't respond from our old identity of getting even or or shame or projecting. We respond from this place of sacred holiness. 1 Peter 2 9 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession You are a new creation in Christ, and so when evil comes at you in this kingdom, God invites us, do not respond in the way you used to. Do not respond with evil. It just makes a bigger mess. What I want you to do, because of my holiness in you, I want you to be a part of cleaning up the mess. I want you to end the hostility so that all may live at peace, right? Doesn't that sound nice? Peace? Uh, So that's the first invitation that I believe that Paul is inviting us to in the new world. When hostility comes, meet it with holiness, and that is your true identity, who God's made you to be at your core, saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. The second invitation that I believe he invites us to is to seek righteousness instead of revenge. And seeking righteousness is simply seeking to do what is right Revenge is so glorified in our culture, is it not? There's TV shows about it, there's movies about it. There's something even in our humanity that feels so good when somebody wrongs us and we watch them suffer just a little bit, not too much, but just a little bit. There's something that's like, yeah, they got theirs. And what God is saying, what Paul is saying is he's saying, that's not the world we live in. That's, that's your flesh speaking, but we have a God who who is filled with enough wrath to take out anybody who's gonna wrong him. So it is not up for you it's not up to you and I to revenge. Has anybody ever had a revenge gone wrong? where you fight back too hard or you hit the wrong person or you shatter an entire friend group or your family suffers at the consequence of someone's revenge, revenge can go extremely wrong. And God's saying, hey, this is my territory. I'm a God of justice. You leave that to me. Because when you revenge somebody, you put something in the community that eventually might hurt a lot of people. And it might feel really, really good in the beginning, right? It might feel like, oh, yeah, I got it. But in the long run what builds up is guilt, remorse, sometimes despair. God saying, "No, that's that's not who I created you to be. I created you to seek righteousness." And you can seek righteousness because Jesus came and showed us the path of righteousness, right? He was always doing what the Father told him to do. He was receiving his instructions from above, from a holy place, and God saying, "Hey, I put my Holy Spirit in you, a guide, a compass that will direct you towards what's right. So when you're in the heat of the moment, when someone hurts you, I want you to focus on what the spirit that I've given you, the spirit of truth inside of you, and I want you to ask me what you're supposed to do. Not to take it into your own hands and make a bigger mess. I want you to to submit yourself to me and say, what would be the right thing to do in this situation? And here's the reality. When people respond with righteousness and not revenge, it looks very different than the world, right? People take note when you respond with righteousness. Um, Some of you will remember a shooting that happened in 2006 in an Amish community. Um, It made international news because of the response of the community. The community sought righteousness and holiness and forgiveness instead of revenge. And so this story became so wide known that 10 years later, they invited a bunch of news reporters, a bunch of TV stations to go back and do a 10 year recap on where that community is at now. And I found one of the articles um, that really featured the mother of the shooter. And this, I wanna share this article with you today because the reality of how they responded was preaching the gospel, not just to their community, but to the world. So I want to read this article based on the mother, Terry Roberts, um, who was the shooter's son. It says, a single word in black cursive font hangs above a large double-pane window in Terry Roberts' sunroom. It says, forgiven. The word and the room itself, a gift built by her Amish neighbors just months after the unimaginable occurred, is a daily reminder of all that she's lost and all that she's gained these past 10 years. The simple, quiet, rural life she knew shattered on October 2nd, 2006, when her oldest son, Charles Carl Roberts IV, walked into a one or one-room Amish schoolhouse on a clear, unseasonably warm Monday morning. The 32-year-old husband and father of three children ordered all the boys and adults to leave, tied up 10 little girls between the age of 6 and 13, and shot them, killing five and injuring the others before killing himself. Terry Roberts' husband thought that they'd have to move far away. He knew what people thought of parents of mass murderers. He believed that they would be ostracized in their community and blamed for not knowing the evil their child was capable of. But in the hours after the massacre, as Amish parents still waited in a nearby barn for word about whether their daughters had survived, an Amish man named Henry arrived at the Roberts' home with a message. The families did not see the the couple as an enemy. Rather, they saw them as parents who were grieving the loss of their child too. Henry put a hand on the shoulder of Terry Roberts' husband and called him a friend. The world watched in amazement as on the day of their son's funeral, nearly 30 Amish men and women, some of whom were the parents of the victims, came to the cemetery and formed a wall to block out media cameras. Parents whose daughters had died at the hand of their son approached the couple after the burial and offered condolences for their loss. That is the gospel lived out. That is the new world that Paul is inviting us to be a part of. That when when the unthinkable happens, we respond from a place of truth inside of us and not the emotions that are going crazy, that want to harm other people. As I read this story, I I wondered about myself. I wondered where would I be in that community? Would I be making a blockade around the grieving parents so that the the world wouldn't see? Or would I want the world to see what happened, for others to get angry with me, for someone to maybe take revenge? I thought about what I would do in this situation. I wonder for you and I, just as a community, I wonder what we would do. Would we respond that way? Because this is the picture that Paul is talking about. When we choose forgiveness, when we do what's right instead of what feels right. There's a difference in that, you know? And when the community responded like this, everything changed. There was a watching world that got a glimpse of the good news of Jesus Christ. And beyond that, God used their forgiveness to restore the community. I want to read you one more paragraph about where they're at 10 years later. It says, but the Amish community did more than just forgive the couple. They embraced them as part of their own community. When Terry underwent treatment for stage four breast cancer in December, one of the girls who had survived the massacre helped clean her home before she returned to the hospital. A large yellow bus arrived at her home around Christmas and Amish children piled in to sing her Christmas carols. It's a, beauty of, it's a story of restoration, of redemption that God invites us into. He invites you and I to respond this way. This is not for some Amish community far away. This is the invitation for the community of believers that we receive Jesus Christ who came down to forgive us our sins so that we may be a blessing and forgive others theirs. And when, when we do this, the beauty of restoration is found in community, right? Right? isn't that a beautiful picture? So Paul invites us to meet hostility with holiness when it comes, which resolves in peace. And he invites us to seek righteousness, to seek to do what's right, to seek to forgive instead of to get ours and take revenge. And the third invitation that I see in this passage, the last one, is Paul invites us to be kind and not to kill. And some of you are thinking, well, Coley, you know, I've never, I've never really murdered anybody. And I don't think I really have either. However, the Bible talks about the power of life and death is on our tongue. And I think about how many people that we've killed with our words. How many people we've killed by not saying anything when we should have said something. How many people we've killed in our minds and in our hearts. How many people in our past that we've just cut off, you're dead to me. And the invitation is, will you be people who are kind in a world that seeks to kill and destroy? The passage says, on the contrary to revenge, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I didn't know what that meant. I kind of, I was thinking maybe like Game of Thrones style, like just take them out, you know, like they're done, wiped out. But um, I did a little research and the actual story of the burning coals is that when Paul was writing to this community, women were the fire keepers in their home. They kept the house warm, they kept their family alive, and they cooked over the fire. And so fire was a lifeline. And so in a community, when one woman's fire would go out, other women in the community would gather coals from their own fire and put them in jars in their head. And as a community, they would go and restart the fire of a neighbor who had lost her fire. So the the picture that Paul's inviting us into is this invitation to heap kindness on somebody who needs it, right? To be kind and not to kill. Um, I was I was in um, going shopping at the ninety nine cent store this week. Does anyone like that store? Oh, I love I love that store. Um, it's one of my favorites. It's my jam. But I've I've decided I started calling it Sanctification City because. Everything about that experience is, I think, meant to grow me. (laughs) So there's usually one checker, and there's usually 30 people in line. And so I'm getting all my essentials, the things that I love, that I get for $1. I can't pass up that price in L.A. So I've got my little cart, and I'm waiting in line, and it's a rather long line, you know. And I, you know, I'm an L.A. woman. I got stuff to do. So I'm waiting in line, and I'm impatient, you know. And finally I get up there, and he checks me out. And so I'm like, whew, I made it. I'm in the parking lot. But the parking lot doesn't really get any better. It's like kind of this convention center for whatever. I mean, people are selling fruit. People are having heart-to-hearts. People are playing chess. I think there's someone homeschooling in the corner. Like, it is just this place of activity. And so I finally get through this long line. I got all my beloved dollar treasures. I get in my car. I'm like, I got to go. I got places to be. So I turn around to back up, and there's a car parked right behind me. So, you know, I'm, I'm patient, I'm kind, I'm assuming they're waiting for the next spot, they need their 99 cents treasures too, we all deserve this. And so I waited for a little bit and nothing, no movement. And so I thought, is someone, is someone parking, is someone changing? So I'm stuck. And if any of you have ever felt claustrophobic, I felt a little like, oh my gosh, it's in the sun, I got stuff to do, I got my 99 cent treasures, like I want to get out of here. And so I, I debated, I prayed a little bit, Lord, how would you create an exodus for me just to allow me to leave? <laughs> um, and so the lady, the lady wasn't moving, so I thought, like, do I get out? Do I go ask, or what do I do? So I just, I think, I don't know if someone saw a passing, or slowly I see her start to inch forward, and I'm like, oh, you know, save your angel, thank you. So she scoots forward, and so I'm like, oh, I'm in the clear. So I back out, and uh, she hasn't moved far enough for me to leave. And so she's, she's just stationed there. And now the problem is, her car is not communicating with my car. And so I see, I see no hazard signs. I don't see a blinker. And I go into a mini meltdown of like, oh, my gosh, we're stuck. I'm going to be here forever. And so I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm like, you know, she's probably just, there's probably someone leaving. And, you know, maybe 10 seconds passes, maybe 11 I'm suffering. Um, but anyways, I decide, I decide I'm not going to be the lady that goes crazy and yells in the parking lot, so I just, I just do a gentle arm wave, because sometimes that wave kind of catches their eye in the rearview mirror. Where I'm like, hey, what's going on? And nothing. She doesn't move. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, do I, do I get out? I mean, it's, the seconds are collecting now, and my patience is, you know, I, I lost most of it in the store, so now I've, I'm at a low supply. And... Um, <laughs> I'm like, I got, I got places to be, what do I do? And so I'm like, do I, I'm not really a honker. You know, I like, I'm not that crazy person. So I decide I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna do a gentle honk. I call it the holy honk. So I just did a little, just a, just a little tap, just so she was aware that I was there. No movement. Eventually someone I think walks by and I, I see a little point like, oh, there's someone behind you. So she, so thank the Lord, right? The gateways have opened, the flood is coming. She starts inching forward. But she's going so slow that now I feel like she's playing with me. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to get out of here. So she, she pulls up slowly, just enough that there's space that I can get by. And so I've, just, I've learned a lot in L.A. I'm from Wisconsin. We don't have traffic problems. But I've learned that, like, I'm not going to be the crazy lady yelling in the thing. What I do is, is I like to give just a gentle but a stern look of, of disappointment, <laughs> of saying, hey, this is not the way we do things in this society. So I roll up to give my pastoral, you know, just a friendly advisory of like, mm 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 And so I pull up, and I kid you not, this lady that is sitting in the car looks like the great-grandma from Coco, Mama Coco, <laughs> the sweetest, most adorable woman I have ever seen. And in slow motion, she turns to me. And she smiles, and oh my gosh, you guys, I came undone. Talk about shame, talk about humility, talk about repentance. Her smile just, I felt like such a jerk, and so I just smiled back at her like, Mama Coco. (laughs) And we had a little moment there, and I loved it, but this, this is what Paul's talking about. This kind of killing with kindness, kindness from a true place, that when people respond to evil, I'm going to label that. I was being a little evil. When people respond with kindness, it changes the heart of the person who's in the wrong, right? I felt remorse. I felt humbled. I thought, i got to be a lot more sanctified when I come to this place because I could see Mama Coco, and she was the cutest woman I've ever seen. And so the thing that Paul invites us to in here, he says, do not repay evil with evil... Choose kindness over killing, and when we do that, two things will happen. One, one of two things will happen. One, when we respond with kindness, either somebody will be humbled, and they will repent, like I did, right? That kindness kind of melts the soul. Kindness leads us to repentance. So when we're kind to our neighbor, we give them the opportunity to repent. And if they repent, what a celebration in heaven, right? So either that will happen, or when we are kind, there is a chance that they will not repent, Right? That's the reality of it. Is he says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, we can't control others. But if we are kind and they do not repent, what we do is we leave them at the foot of the cross. We leave that for God to deal with. I was thinking about the other day, like this concept of like a coley size punch versus like a God size punch. Like there's some things that it's not our job to write things. And so we give we give him or her to the judge who is sovereign, who knows everything, and we let go. He says, as far as it depends on you in a relationship, it's a two-way street. So you, I mean, you can only go 50%. So you do everything you can. You are kind, you are gentle, but if they don't repent, that is, that's not your job. It's not your job to fix them, and it's not your job to punish them. So you leave them at the foot of the cross, and you walk away. And one thing I just wanna caveat in this that Cheryl touched upon before, but if there is any form of abuse, if there is any form of exploitation, what we want you to hear here is that that is not okay. Cheryl said, love does not enable wrongdoing. So if you are in any kind of situation where you are in danger, where you are being hurt, this is not an invitation to just hang in there, love them a little more, you know, be, be so kind to them that they'll change. No, your safety matters to us, and we want you to know we want you to, we want you to get help if that's the situation. So this is not an excuse or permission for any kind of abuse or exploitation, just to make sure that that's clear in this room. Um, but, Got all passionate about that, um, but anyway. So uh, what I want to do is I want to sum up. I think all of Paul's teaching comes down to his thesis line, which is the last verse. He says, um, "Do oh he says, do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good." He's giving us the choice. He's saying you can let evil reign over you and it can control you, and you can always respond out of evil, or you can step up and put an end to that and say, no, you're not going to rule over me. I'm going to choose good. I think a really easy illustration maybe from my own life is social media. Like I can get really addicted to social media. I can start like scrolling all the time and comparing. So I can let social media control me or I can own up and say, hey, I don't, I don't think this is healthy for me right now. Delete. And I can control it. And Paul's inviting us. He's saying, don't let evil control you. Don't let them make the decision for you step up and say no we're not going to do it this way I'm going to do good I'm going to choose to forgive I'm going to choose to respond the way Jesus invites me to respond he's saying you have the power and I want you as citizens of this kingdom to enact it for the good of others you see the the word of God is for our good I had that revelation in this series that God isn't saying this for him God's giving us laws and rules so that It will go well with us so that we live at peace, so that we don't hurt our neighbors, so that we're not hurt by our neighbors. This word is for us to enjoy and embrace the world he died to give us. And so I wanna invite you today. I want, this week, Cheryl, in the study, she asked you to think about who is someone that you need to forgive? Who is somebody that's an enemy for you? And one definition I read of enemy that I really actually liked this week was an enemy is anyone God uses to reveal your weakness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. An enemy is anyone God uses to reveal your weaknesses. So the enemy is not somebody way over there in a different country. It's, it's the people that are around you. It's your spouse. It's your best friend. It's your kids. It is, it's those that are bringing out your weak moments and your weak points. And God is saying, I want you to love them love your enemies. Because if you'll remember, we were once enemies of God, right? It says in in Colossians 3.21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish. See, we were once enemies of God, and God sent Jesus to redeem us and restore us to him so that we can live with him. And God invites us to do the same thing, to, rev- to forgive our enemies, to give them an opportunity to repent, to show them Christ so that they might be saved. Amen? Because the reality is we can, we can repay evil for evil, but what happens is that starts wars. And we're called to be people of peace. But when evil comes at us and we respond with love, that's a revolution, right that's the revolution that jesus came to share that we are people of love and we bring love to communities our homes families spaces so what i want to challenge you and encourage you to do this week is whoever it was that you identified as someone who maybe doesn't feel for you someone you're struggling to love i want to invite you to pray for them this week if you've never done that i want you to spend the week praying for them and i want you to watch what god does i've done this before with people that i've struggled with And the reality is we're praying like, change them, make him different, make him do this, take him over there. But what happens when we start praying for our enemies is God starts doing something in us, right? He starts showing us layers of that person's story. Have you ever judged somebody and then you heard their story? You've been humbled by, whoa, you've been through a lot. Your pain comes from pain that was inflicted on you. Your attitude towards others comes from abuse that you've suffered. Your, your distrust of people comes from the fact that a lot of people have broken your trust. So God, I want you to pray for your enemies this week, and I want you to pray that God would show you how to love them, how to be kind to them, how to seek righteousness. For some of you, it's going to be as simple as a text message. Who do you need to text this week and just say, hey, I miss you. And for some of you, maybe you need to write a letter. For some of you, maybe you just need to smile at the crazy woman in the 99-cent parking lot and just say, hello, you're okay. Calm down, sugar. (laughs) Whatever it is, whatever it is, God invites us in every moment of our lives to respond with his goodness instead of the world's evil. And that is how he creates a whole new world, through us, his ambassadors, living out the gospel, loving others, and forgiving them. Amen? Amen. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to let you go to your groups and chat it up. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God of forgiveness, Lord. And so, Father, I invite you into this space to reveal in each of us, Lord, who is it that you're asking us to love? And how, Father, how do you want us to love them? How do you want us to forgive them? How can we show kindness to our enemies this week, Lord? We want to be people who live for you, Jesus, and share the good news that you have died and resurrected so that we can be set free, Father. Help us to be good ambassadors this week. Help us to embrace the holiness that you have put inside of us, Lord, and help us to respond with love, God, to a very harsh and cruel world at times, Father. We trust that your Holy Spirit will do it in your power, in your way, in your time. Lord, have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen.